0: Amen. All right. Well, um, I want to begin, of course, uh, by saying thank you uh, to Pastor Anderson and Ms. Susanna for their uh, friendship and, of course, their hospitality. And uh, thank you to all of you uh, for coming out uh, this morning. And there's a great, great crowd here on a Saturday morning, and I appreciate you uh, being here. And, of course, uh, this has been a great conference. We've, we've heard some great preaching, and I can tell you that I have been encouraged and motivated on the subject of missions, and I'm excited about missions, and I'm glad uh, to be here. So, of course, this morning, I'm preaching on the subject of uh, missions in the United Kingdom, or missions in the UK, and uh, we did a missions trip to the United Kingdom uh, so that's what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. I want to say that the decorations are are great. The decorations are amazing for, the, for, for Europe and specifically for the UK, and so thank you very much to everybody uh, that helped with that, and uh, I want to talk about missions in the UK, and I was trying to think of a more exciting sermon title, uh, but I, I'm not very good at titling sermons, so I, I'm just going to uh, go with missions in the United Kingdom or missions in the UK. But another possible title for the sermon is How to Reach the White Man. And uh, so we're going if, to, if, if that's, maybe that will get more clicks on, online. I'm not sure. But let me, let me just begin by, of course, these sermons are kind of, they're kind of difficult to preach uh, sometimes or to write because they're like a sermon. And uh, Pastor Thompson mentioned this. They're, they're a mixture of a sermon and a testimony and and uh and a book report and uh geographical regional lessons so let me just begin by talking a little bit about the united kingdom and of course we went out to the united kingdom my family and i went out uh in august of this year august 21st to 31st is why we were there and of course we were there uh with pastor ian tavener and uh, the strong tower baptist church and pastor aaron thompson and sure foundation baptist church actually started the church in the UK, which shouldn't surprise you because he pretty much starts every church that gets started, (laughs) but uh, they started the church out there and they invited us and uh, Pastor Thompson graciously allowed me to preach the UK sermon because it's the only missions trip I took this year, so uh, I I didn't go to Yakima, but but I do want to say that of course Pastor Thompson uh, trained Pastor Tavener and uh, we were there on the weekend that he got ordained And, of course, uh, I enjoyed getting to meet the Taverner family, and they're doing a great work there at Strong Tower Baptist Church. So uh, let me begin, like I said, with with a little bit of kind of the geography of the United Kingdom. While we were there, let me just say this, we were there for 10 days. Uh, We had a big soul-winning marathon in London. We went soul-winning five different times, had four different church services. I'll give you some stats later on. Of course, while we were there, we saw the sights, we saw Big Ben, we actually went into Buckingham Palace and uh, did a tour. We saw the Tower Bridge, the British Museum. Uh, Hampton Court, where the King James Bible was commissioned, uh, was my favorite thing that we did there. Uh, so we had a great time. So uh, Americans might be a little confused about the geography of uh, the United Kingdom, so I'll, I'll do my best to try to help you understand it because uh, it kind of it had to be explained to me when, when I was there. And what you want to consider... Uh, you you, want to think about the fact that there's an area called the British Isles. And the British Isles is pretty much two large islands. And the two large islands are Great Britain and then the island of Ireland. And Great Britain is a, a big island that is divided into three sections. You have England, you have Wales, and you have Scotland. So the island of Great Britain is made up of England, Wales, and Scotland, and then you have this other island, uh, Ireland, and that is divided into two sections. You have the Republic of Ireland, and then you have the, uh, the section called Northern Ireland. So the UK or the United Kingdom is actually Great Britain, which is England, Wales, and Scotland, and Northern Ireland, but not the Republic of Ireland. So hopefully that makes sense. And uh, that's the way the geography uh, goes there. And it, it's pretty interesting. But let's get to the part that, that Baptists actually care about. Let's talk about the food, all right, just real quickly. Because obviously we're Baptists and we like to eat. And, you know, when I, when I hear about... I, I, I missed the percentage for Nagaland. Was it like 90% Baptist? Where's Brother Raider? Is he here? 93. 93% Baptist? That's what I thought. That's, that's amazing. So, when, you know, when I hear... There's an area in the world that's 93% Baptist, and then he's like, they eat dogs, they eat rats. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, because Baptists like to eat, you know what I mean? And uh, it's, it's very important to us. So let me just, there, obviously, there's traditional English food, which we loved. It was amazing. While we were there, the taverners had us over for dinner. They had like a, a, a traditional English uh, shoulder roast, and it was great. They have shepherd's pie and things like that. Um, all of that was great, uh, of course. What England is known for is the fish and chips, which are amazing. And if you've never had fish and chips in England, you have not had fish and chips, all right? Because I liked fish and chips even before I went to England, uh, to the UK. And, uh, but here in the United States, fish and chips, what they give you is like strips of fish, you know what I mean? And, and of course the fries that come with it. But in England, you get an actual fish. Like it's a fish with the head cut off and it's fried. You get the whole fish and it is delicious, all right? So fish and chips is definitely the number one thing there. And their, their, their big thing is fish and chips, but let me just say this. The chips, they sell everywhere. And, and chips are French fries. The English don't call them French fries because they don't like the French. But, you know, they call them chips. But I love, I love fries. Like, I, I could eat fries with any meal. And uh, they sell fries everywhere there or chips everywhere there. So, I, w- I mean, literally, we took our kids to get some donuts in the morning, and I ordered a side of chips with our donuts. So fish and chips are great. Chips are everywhere. Uh, traditional bri- uh, British breakfast uh, is, is really nice. Of course, they've got uh, eggs and, and things like that What they call bacon is not what we call bacon. What they call bacon, and they have every morning, is what we call Christmas ham. All right? So, what they call bacon is just a big slab of ham. And uh, they do this thing where they eat these full tomatoes. They cut these tomatoes in half and cook them and eat them. Also, with the traditional British breakfast comes beans. So, they have beans with breakfast, they eat beans there. which, which is kind of interesting. Um, they don't have any ranch, all right? That's an American, American thing, so you just gotta just know that. We were at a restaurant, and we asked for ranch, and the lady was like, do you mean mayonnaise? And we're like, no. Uh, so, and then we were talking to somebody at the church about it, and they were like, yeah, we don't have ranch. And they were even like, doesn't that just sound American, ranch, you know? And it's like, yeah, okay. So they don't have ranch. They do have chips everywhere. Um, just some observations, though, and this is really interesting, okay? To me, it's interesting. Every restaurant we went to served chorizo, all right? Now, I, I grew up in, in California in the Bay Area. I grew up around a bunch of Mexican people and the Mexican culture, so to me, chorizo has always been like a Mexican thing, but every restaurant in the U.K. had on its menu that I saw, they sold chorizo. Also, every restaurant in the U.K., which I love this, sold what we would call Mexican Cokes, they sold glass-bottled Cokes. And I think the reason for that is because they're pretty healthy over there, and I think high fructose corn syrup is illegal. So they, they only, you know, every restaurant sold the glass-bottled Cokes. Every restaurant was selling chorizo. Uh, they were serving beans with breakfast. And these are all like Mexican culture to me, right? So I'm kind of wondering like, are these people like white Mexicans? <laughs> And then, and then we were out soul winning, and I saw a white guy landscaping. And I said, they are white Mexicans. So anyway, I'm sure that's a conspiracy. I'm not sure what the connection is there. You guys don't even have landscapers here, I don't think, so maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Does somebody come and mow your rocks? I'm not sure. But um, anyway, the food is delicious. The food is great. We had a great time while we were there, and uh, hopefully that's enough geography. I'll give you more information as we go along. I'd like to give you three thoughts this morning regarding the United Kingdom and missions in the U.K. I'd like to give you, like I said, this is kind of a missions report, so I'd like to give you three thoughts regarding uh, the United Kingdom. And if you'd like to write these down, I always encourage people to take notes uh, while the preaching of the Word of God is going on, of course. And if you'd like to, you can write these statements down. The first report from the U.K., Uh, The first thing I'd like to report on, the first thing I'd like to highlight is the remnant in the UK, the remnant in the UK from missions. And of course, when you think about the United Kingdom and when you think about Europe in general, uh, as far as spirituality is concerned, we often think that the UK and the rest of Europe is a spiritually dark place. And in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, we have this verse. And of course, this verse is not about the UK or about Europe It's about the end times, but I think there's a spiritual theme or application that we could see here. In Amos chapter 8, and verse 11, the Bible says, Behold, the days come. And again, this is future prophecy. This is end times prophecy. The days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but for hearing the words of the Lord. Notice verse number 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea. And from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. And of course, we understand that this passage is prophetically speaking about coming a future day in the end times. This is the time that is referred to as the falling away. It is a time uh, the Bible says when men will not endure sound doctrine. But I think this is a passage that could be applied to the UK and the uh, the, the continent of Europe. Uh, there's a day that there is a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. And not only that, but there are people that are traveling all over Europe, and some of them are here, here at this missions conference. I've met people from Poland, from Croatia, from France, from different parts of of the world, of course, from from, uh, England. And and, and there are people all over Europe who are seeking for the word of the Lord, and they're not finding it. Uh, Because of the fact that the U.K., is a uh, spiritually dark place. I'd like to just read a little excerpt from an article uh, from, uh, regarding the spiritual state of the UK. I'll just read this quickly. It says this, the relatively large number of individuals with nominal or no religious affiliations has led various commentators to describe the United Kingdom as a multi-faith and secularized society. Other major surveys which ask a differently worded question find a majority of people in the UK do not, do not belong to a religion. British society is one of the most secularized in the world. and In many surveys determining religion, uh, religious beliefs of the population, agnosticism, non-theism, atheism, secular humanism, and non-affiliation are views shared by a large percentage of Britons. Uh, So, of course, uh, the UK and Europe is considered a post-Christian secular society. Uh, Spiritually, it is a dark place. And please understand me when I say this, when when I bring this point up, I'm not down on the UK and I'm not saying this as a criticism. Uh, In in, in fact, uh, I can connect with them because the state that the place where I minister, the state of California, is also a dark place, is also a secular place, a liberal place, and, and, and it's something that we need to acknowledge. What we need to remember is this, that the, the, the light of the gospel of Christ shines brightest in the darkest regions. And the fact that the UK and Europe is a spiritually dark place is not me saying, so let's not go there and let's just forget about it, Uh, But we need to acknowledge the fact that there's a a need. There is a need uh, that is great there in that part of the world. I'd like you to go with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 11. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then the book of Romans, of course. Romans chapter number 11. And though the UK and, like I said, the rest of Europe, today is uh, Europe Day, uh, and, and most of Europe is a spiritually dark place. I will say this that the UK and the rest of Europe has a faithful remnant of believers. There is a faithful remnant of uh, believers in uh, the United Kingdom. There is a faithful remnant of believers in Europe. And I, I would say this I'm in trouble with this button <laughs> uh, that there, there is a faithful remnant of believers. I believe everywhere in the world. And there there are people that are saved all over the world. In Romans chapter 11, we have the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. And I want you to notice what he says. And he's writing in the first century. And he says this, Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away His people? And of course, he is referring to saved Israelites. He's referring to uh, people that are descendants of Abraham that are saved. And he's talking about... Uh, in the first century and he says "Hath God cast away his people and he says God forbid for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin so I want you to understand what Paul is saying Paul is talking in the first century and of course during his time most Jews are not believers most Jews are not saved most Jews are not uh, receiving the gospel or believing uh, on the gospel but Paul is making the argument that there is still a remnant He says, look, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias? And of course, Elias is the Old Testament uh, prophet Elijah. And now he's going to make uh, an example. He's going to use an example. And I want you to get this. He's talking about, he's talking in the first century about the fact that there's still a remnant. And he uses an example from the Old Testament, many hundreds and thousands of years before that. And he says this in, uh, in verse number, uh, well, notice verse number two. And God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Why ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying... And, and he's quoting, and he's going back to the story of Elijah Uh, In verse 3, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. And this is, of course, Elijah at a very low time in his ministry when he's saying to God, they're trying, they've are trying. they killed your prophets. They're trying to kill me. I'm the only one that's standing for you. Verse 4, But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also. I want you to notice what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Back then, Elijah said, They've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left who's serving you. And God said, that's not true. There's still a faithful remnant. There are still 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And then Paul, using that as an example, verse five says, even so then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Paul uses an example from the Old Testament where God says there's still a remnant There's still 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. And Paul says it's the same way today in the first century. He says there are still some that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And I say to you tonight in the 21st century that there is still a remnant. And in Europe, there are people that have not bowed their knee to Baal. There is a faithful remnant in Europe. There is a faithful remnant all over the world. Much of the remnant in the UK... I will say, at least what we're exposed to, a lot of it comes from the teaching and preaching of the new IFB. And you're there in Romans chapter 11. I'd like you to go back to Romans chapter 1. When we were there in, uh, in Europe, when we were there in the UK, uh, we met people from all over Europe. Obviously, there was people from all over England, Scotland, Ireland. We met people from Budapest, Hungary, from Geneva, Switzerland, from Bucharest, Romania, from the Netherlands, from Poland, I'm sure I'm forgetting other names, uh, but there was people from all over Europe there. And a lot of them had been reached through the teaching and preaching of Pastor Anderson and Faith Forward Baptist Church uh, and, and, of course, other New IFB churches. Uh, they had been reached through uh, the preaching of Verity Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for that. And I just want to say this as a testimony to Faith Forward Baptist Church. I believe it's true of Verity Baptist Church, and I believe it's true of, of all of the churches in the New IFB. Uh, Romans 1.8, Paul said, to the church at Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I would say to Faithful Word Baptist Church, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I believe that we in the new IFB are making an impact. We are reaching people with the gospel. And as a result, there are many people in the UK uh, and in Europe that have been reached uh, through the gospel. And, and I would say this, we have to consider the fact that there is a remnant. Though it is a dark place spiritually, there is a remnant. And my attitude is that we should not forget about them. I don't want you to turn here. I'm going to read to you from 2 Kings 19. I'd like you to go to the book of Acts, if you would. You're there in Romans, so just go backwards to Acts. And uh, I'll read to you from 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19 and verse 4 says this, it may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. And then I want you to notice, just listen to this statement from 2 Kings 19. He says, Wherefore lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. And I believe that that's what we should be doing today. We should lift up our prayer for the remnant that are left we should try to help people that are in places where they need help where they need help establishing churches we should pray for them we should not forget about them and we should be available to try to minister unto them and look though europe is a spiritually dark place there's great things happening in europe right now and of course in 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 the uk there's strong tower baptist church that Pastor Aaron Thompson and Sure Foundation Baptist Church started there. There's a church in Germany that has already started. There is a church in Poland that is starting uh, in December of this year. Just in a few weeks, there's a church in uh, Poland. And I I want to just kind of, in case you don't know that, I I want people to know that uh, our missionary, and look, at Verity Baptist Church, we believe in missions. In fact, we believe in missions so much, we have a full-time missionary. And his name is Pastor Stucky. He's in the Philippines. He's doing a great job. Yes. Uh, he started a church in Manila and in Bicol and Papanga. And he's continuing to do work. But Pastor Stuckey is sending a man uh, by the name of uh, Matthias uh, to Warsaw, Poland to start a church there. And it's going to be Verity Baptist Church, Warsaw. Yes. And, and Matthias is going there. He's been going to the church uh, in the Philippines, in Manila, uh, since 2019, and he's been trained by Pastor Stuckey, and I just want to let people know about that, because if you're in Poland or anywhere near there, and you can drive there, you should consider uh, making that your church home. And let me just give a shameless plug. If you need to contact the church over there, uh, their email is veritybaptist.com warsaw at gmail.com of course you can find them on facebook verity baptist church warsaw or you can ask me or just email pastor stuckey uh, but uh, there is a church starting in poland and as far as i know that's the third new ip church in europe Amen. and praise the lord for that lots of great work being done uh, there in europe when we were there when uh, pastor thomas and i went there uh, of course with our families and uh we preached there we were there for uh 10 days On Wednesday, the 23rd, when we were there of August, uh, we had 90 people in attendance on a Wednesday night. Which obviously, is uh, is, getting there on a Wednesday night is difficult with traffic. On Sunday morning, the 27th, there was 121 people there. On uh, Sunday night, there was 120 people. So Pastor Thompson preached one person out that morning. And um, on, on Wednesday, the 30th, there was 85 people there. Uh, we did a soul winning marathon in London. I don't know what the number of soul winners, but I know it was over 100 soul winners in London. 54 salvations Amen. in London. And, uh, and, and praise, praise the Lord for that. So uh, I want you to understand that there is a remnant in the UK uh, regarding missions. The UK is a spiritually dark place, but there is a faithful remnant. Now you're there in Acts chapter 2, and I'd like you to look down at verse number 1. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we have a famous story Uh, of the day of Pentecost, of course, Acts 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and we're not going to read the whole passage, look down at verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, I want you to notice this little phrase, out of every nation under heaven, and of course, the day of Pentecost was a... Feast from the Old Testament that was celebrated by the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Jews are celebrating it. And the Bible tells us that there were Jews that came to Jerusalem out of every nation under heaven. So we had these Jews that took this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem on this day. And God even gives us a list of the countries they came from. Look at verse 9. Acts chapter 2 verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and in Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Greeks, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And of course, I'm not preaching about uh, the tongues issue this morning, uh, but the Day of Pentecost is not what the charismatic Pentecostals try to make it sound Where there's gibberish and barking like a dog and all those things. The day of Pentecost was a day when people from all over the world came to Jerusalem and God decided to have a big soul winning push. He decided to have a big soul winning marathon and he had 120 soul winners there and he miraculously gave them the ability to be able to preach in languages that they had never learned, because of the fact that all these people had came to Jerusalem from all these other countries, and He gave them the ability to preach in their language. And of course, they had 3,000 saved, not just saved, saved and baptized. And this was really kind of the big launch of the local New Testament movement. I'm not saying it was the day that the church began, but it was kind of their big day, their big launch, where the New Testament church began by having this big number of salvations. And I want you to notice here that though Jesus had told them to go, and by the way, if you know the book of Acts, they didn't go. And he had to force them to go by bringing persecution. When they launched, he took opportunity of the fact that there was a day when they didn't have to go because they came. They came to them. So the first uh, report from the UK that I want to give you is regarding the remnant in the UK, regarding missions. But the second report that I'd like to give you this morning is about the receptiveness in the UK for missions. The receptiveness in the UK for missions. And I will say this, that the UK is receptive because people from receptive areas of the world have migrated there do you understand what I'm saying when it comes to missions you and I have to understand that there is the aspect of missions which is being focused on this week which is the idea that we are to go go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel we are to go and preach the gospel to the entire world But let us also remember that there is another aspect of missions. One aspect is when we go to them. The other aspect is when they come to us. So let's not forget, because this is similar in the UK to the United States, that the world has come to us. The world has come to us here in the United States and here specifically in Arizona and California. We have people from Mexico and we have people from really all over the world that come to us. And we should realize that as much as we want to go to them, let's take advantage of the fact that the world is coming to us. And, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing about the U.K. is this, that the new IFP, obviously we believe in common sense missions. We believe in going to places where they're receptive, where they speak the language, right? So we go to Africa. We go to the Philippines. We go to the Caribbean. We go to these places that are receptive. But here's the thing about the UK is that people from those receptive areas are migrating to the United Kingdom. And when they get there, they're still receptive. Now look, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. The, the UK is not like the Philippines. All right? In the, it's, not, it's not like the Bahamas. They're not jumping into the boat. Okay? Um, but, so, so when we were soul winning there, honestly, I felt like it was as receptive as Sacramento, California. Which is not super receptive, but you can still get people saved. Amen. And But, you know, we were there for a soul winning marathon in London. And we were there all day. At that soul winning marathon, I had one person saved. Now, of course, if I was in the Philippines, I would have had like 20 people saved. But uh, I had one person saved, but the one person that got saved was a young lady. Her name was Angel, and she had just moved to London from the Caribbean. She came to London from the Caribbean, and we knocked on her door, we gave her the gospel, and she got saved. So the UK is receptive because of the fact that people from receptive areas all over the world have migrated there and people from receptive areas from all over the world have migrated here. Why do we go to Mexico? Because it's receptive. Well, when the Mexicans come to us, get off of your Republican high horse and stop being so upset that they're here and take advantage of the fact that they're here. Let's preach the gospel to them and let's get them saved because sometimes we go to them and sometimes they come to us. So the U.K. is receptive because people from receptive areas of the world have migrated there. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes, like I said, we go to them and sometimes they come to us. Go to Acts 28. Acts 28. But let me say this as well, regarding the receptiveness in the U.K. Well, let me just read the passage. Acts 28. When you have the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, you have him primarily dealing with two groups of people. One group that is highly receptive, and one group that is not so receptive. The highly receptive people are the Gentiles, and the not so receptive people are the Jews. And when you read the book of Acts, you read things like this. Now you go to Acts 28, but let me just read a a few passages to you. When you see the Apostle Paul going to preach to the Gentiles, here's the kind of things you read. And came almost the whole city together to hear him preach, Acts 13, 44. You read things like this. And some of them believed, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few, Acts 17, 4. You read things like this. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. Acts 17, 12. So you read these verses. Women, not a few. A great multitude. Uh, Greeks and of men, not a few. Almost the whole city came together. When he's, pe- when he's preaching to the Gentiles and to the Greeks, they're very receptive, right? And, and look, where's he at? He's in places like Philippi. And it was receptive. In the first century, it was Philippi. In our century, it's the Philippines. These are receptive areas where he was just getting lots of people saved. But then there were other, another group that wasn't receptive. Acts 28, look at verse 23. This is the apostle Paul when he's imprisoned, Acts twenty-twenty-three. 23, the Bible says this, and when they... Now the they there, I won't take the time to go through the context, but it's the Jews in Rome because he just got to Rome. And when they had appointed him a day there came many to him. So they made an appointment with Paul into his lodging, to whom he, Paul, expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. Notice verse 24. He's talking to the Jews. They're not a receptive group. They're not the ones that the Bible's going to say, that they got saved not a few or a great multitude or the whole city came out but notice what the bible does say in verse 24 and some believed you know that some jews got saved in fact in the first century the first century church was filled with jewish converts which is why there's a book in the new testament called the book of hebrews to help these jewish converts Learn how to correlate the Old Testament and the New Testament. How to transition out of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, they weren't getting Jews saved like they were getting uh, Greeks saved. But notice verse 24. And some believe the things which were spoken of, uh, which were spoken, look at the last part of verse 24, and some believe not. Okay, so the verses where it says that there came many to him, or, or where, excuse me, where it says... Uh, That the whole city came out and uh, women got saved, not a few. Men got saved, not a few. A great multitude came out. You know, that's equivalent to us. That's like the Philippines. That's the Bahamas. That's uh, these these receptive areas. But then Acts 28, 24, when it says, and some believe the things which were spoken of and some believe not, that's more like the United States and the United Kingdom. Because we go out soul winning and we're not having somebody walk up to us and say tell me about baptism but some believed and some believe not and look let, let's just face it all right white people aren't receptive white people aren't receptive anywhere they're not receptive in the United States they're not receptive in Canada they're not receptive in Australia they're not receptive in the UK all right can I can I just say that they're not receptive. You want receptive, you gotta find brown people and black people. It's just the truth. And look, don't I'm not a racist. Don't call me a racist. I'm not a racist. I have a white friend. His name is Pastor Anderson. Alright? So I'm and look, obviously receptivity has to do with social economic structures. We get that. If brown people had money, they wouldn't be receptive either. We get that. But let me just let you in on a little secret. White people aren't receptive. But did you know this? Some white people get saved. And look, if you're here, you're, look, we got white people here that are saved. God bless you. You are part of the white remnant. Now, I, I wouldn't go around saying that, okay? Because that, that just sounds like something out of the Ku Klux Klan. The white remnant. But w- what I'm saying is this. White people get saved. And look, in the UK, okay, let me say it this way. British people get saved. Some, now, now, are they getting saved like in the Philippines? No. Are they getting saved like in the Bahamas? No. Are they getting saved like uh, in, in, in poor places? No. But British people, white people in Sacramento, California, in, in Arizona, in the UK, all over the world, they get saved. And look, while we were there, we had a British lady gets saved. And 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 I was out soul winning uh, with Hunar uh, uh, there at, in in the UK and, and he knocked on the door and this British lady came out very polite, very proper. I'll tell you this, one thing. The British are very kind and very polite people. And even when they were not interested in hearing the gospel, no one slammed the door in our face. No one ever said anything rude. They, they're very nice people. And... When we were there, this British lady comes out, extremely proper, you know, and all those things, and Hunar starts talking to her, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this lady's not going to get saved, you know, I'm just kind of thinking that, because we've already knocked on all these doors, and all these British people, because at this point, we're not in London, we're in a different area, and, and they're just, you know, very polite, very nice, but they're not interested, not interested, not interested, and he starts giving the gospel to this lady, and this lady, she, you can tell she gets really emotional when he asked the question, do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? And, and he's asking her, you know, would you like to know? She gets very emotional. And, and here's what she, she said to us. She said, she said, yes, I would like to know how to go to heaven. And, and and here's what she said. She said, when I was a young, when I was a teenager, I got pregnant out of wedlock. And the church that I went to told me that I would never go to heaven and that that myself and my child would both go to hell because I had a baby out of wedlock. And you know, obviously, Hunar says, well, that's not true. God loves you, and God loves your baby, and you can be saved. And, and she wanted to hear it. So look, here's what I'm telling you. Even in unreceptive areas, you'll find receptive people. Right. You'll find people that are ready to hear the gospel, that are ready uh, to get saved. So when it comes to the receptiveness in the UK, there, there's two ideas. One is that it is receptive because of the fact that receptive people from all over the world have migrated there. And it is also receptive because within a population like the United Kingdom, like the United States, you're going to find people that are receptive. Because here's the thing, the UK is, is not super receptive, and it's, it, it is spiritually spiritual dark place, but, but it's not Islamic. Do you understand? There's a history there of Christianity, There's a history there of a culture of Christianity and that makes them more receptive. It's like what Pastor Anderson was preaching on Wednesday night about the northern kingdoms uh, of Israel where it said in 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 5, for they had not done it of a long time. And look, England and the United Kingdom at one time was a super spiritual place. And at one time, it was a place that was sending missionaries all over the world. And they have a culture of that they, they have a culture of uh, spirituality and of Christianity. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. When we were in London, we uh, drove by the oldest church in London, and it was built in 675 A.D. Think about that. 675 years after Christ, this church was built. So obviously these people have a history and a tradition, a culture, of Christianity. There's one more thing I want to bring up about the, the, how, the, the rest, uh, receptivity uh, of people in the UK and the receptiveness of people in the UK. And it, it's kind of interesting because though the UK is a spiritually dark place, in some ways it's more religious than the United States. And let me just kind of explain that to you. They have... There in the UK, uh, what they refer to as a high church culture. And people have a lot of experience with, when, 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 when I say high church, or a high church would be a more traditional type of church. And this is because of the Church of England. And I'm not going to go into a whole you know, history lesson, but of course, King Henry VIII uh, wanted to divorce his wife because she wasn't producing him an heir. And the Pope at that time would not allow him to get a divorce, so he pretty much said forget the Pope and forget Catholicism, and he started his own church, and it's called the Church of England, and he pretty much, now, it you know, it's not a good church, he pretty much just copied and pasted the Catholic Church, and he just made himself, you know, the Pope of uh, the Church of England, uh, but they have the Church of England there, and and we even have it here in the U.S., and the U.S. is called the Episcopal Church, because you're not going to get Americans to go to a church called the Church of England, um, <laughs> But the, the Church of England is, is because it's so old and has so much tradition. There's there's this high church uh, mentality there, uh, and many people, the ones that go to church, they go to like a high church uh, uh, type church. And 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 here's and look, I, obviously I was there for ten days. So I'm not an expert on on everything there, but the, the the sense that I got was this: it doesn't it didn't seem to me, based off. All the soul winning I did and the people I talked to, that there's a lot of like fun-centered churches like we have here. In the US, you know, we have most people that go to church, they go to a fun-centered church. They go to a church that feels like a rock concert, looks like a casino, you know, there's lasers and lights. It seems like in the UK, most people that I talked to that did go to church, and even the ones that didn't go to church would say, when I was a kid, I went to church and they went to this high type church. It seems like, I'm not saying that there aren't fun-centered churches there. It just didn't seem like it was the big thing. And because of the fact that many people went and kind of grew up in that traditional, you know, they sang hymns, in my opinion, it seems like it's an easier transition from that into a real independent fundamental Baptist church. You see what I'm saying? Because in the U.S., we kind of struggle with this, right? We get somebody saved that's used to going to, like, a fun center church, and then they come to a church like ours, and it's this big, like, culture shock. Because they're like, why are the lights on? You know, it's like, (laughs) they're not used to that. And we're singing the hymns, and we're preaching, right? So they're used to, you know, karaoke bar type church, right? They're like, where's the karaoke with the bouncing ball? And, you know, but in the U.K., There, to them, going to church and sitting down and the lights are on and you're singing a hymn, that's normal. And look, we've been talking about it, this whole conference. Obviously, you know, my wife, uh, she got saved uh, when she was 17 years old. But transitioning her into an independent Baptist church was not difficult because of the fact that when she was a little girl, she went to church, to a Catholic church with her grandmother. And, and so she has a lot of memories of singing hymns. Obviously, they sing different hymns than the hymns we sing. But she had a lot of those memories. So when she came to our Baptist church and we sang hymns and we had a lot of the same similar atmosphere, it was an easier transition for her uh, to be able to do that. And look, isn't it true that it's way easier to get a Catholic saved than just someone, than a Muslim, you know, or, or an atheist? So these people, a lot of them, they're religious... And they have it as a part of their culture, which, in my, in, in my opinion, makes them a little more receptive. And not only that, but this religion is intertwined into their society. And let me, let me illustrate this kind of using uh, the school system there. And it, it's a little confusing, so I wrote it down because I want to explain this to you properly. But, you know, in, in the United States, we have what we call the public school system and then private schools. And the public school system is a government school, our taxes pay for it, it's open to anyone to go. But then people who don't want to send their kids to the public school, they pay additional tuition above their taxes that are already being paid and they pay to send their kids to a private school. And then of course, in the new IFP, most of us, we don't send our kids to public school or a private school, we homeschool our children. And by the way, hey, you kids, you ought to be thankful to your parents if you're being homeschooled because they're already paying for your education through taxes. And then because they love you, because they love you, instead of just sending you to the school that they've already paid for, they pay above that to educate you properly because the public school system is a joke. I mean, it's wicked as hell. It's it's all about influences. But even on an educational uh, uh, level, it's a joke. People are graduating from high school, they can't read the diploma that they're receiving. Yeah. <laughs> so, we have a public school system, a private school system, homeschooling. In the UK, they call what they call public school is what we would call private school. And what they call what what we call a public school, they call a state school. So, a state school is their public school. And a public school is what we call a private school. Now, here's what's interesting about the state school. The state school, if you're sending your kids to what we call public school, but it's what they call a state school, you have three different options. You can send them to a secular state school, which would be equivalent to what we consider a public school, just a a school that is secular. they, They don't talk about God, don't talk about religion, and they're probably against God and against religion. But then they also have Uh, religious state schools or what we would call a public school they have uh, state schools that are Church of England and they have state schools that are Catholic and again neither one of these religions is good they're not preaching the gospel they're not getting anybody saved but at least some of the kids in their state schools are going to a school that is a Church of England school or a Catholic school where they're at least being taught about Jesus, they're being taught about God, they're being taught about the Bible. I'm not saying that gets them saved. I'm not saying that does anything. But there is at least this foundation of Christianity. So I just want you to understand, when we talk about the UK, it's not Iraq. It's not Pakistan. There is a tradition of Christianity. There is a foundation of Christianity. And when you're out there, obviously you're going to meet a lot of people that are not going to church because more people go to mosques every week in England than go to church. Mm -hmm. You know, so Brother Segura was saying that I didn't go to a Muslim country, but I did. It was called England. (laughs) Because they're being taken over by the Muslims. The Muslims are taking over the UK. Um, So you find a lot of people that are not going to church, but they probably went to church when they were a kid or they might have gone to a state school that was a religious school or if they do go to church, they probably go to a high church. Uh, so there's that. There, it's, just, it's just different. It's different than the United States and of course, every area has their own uh, specific things but there is, of course, people there that are receptive because they come from receptive countries and there are people that are receptive because you can even get a British person saved. All right? There are uh, English people that get saved. And look, when I was there at, uh, at Strong Tower, I met a lady in the church who got saved from the community from door-to-door soul winning. They knocked on her door, got her saved, started coming to church. She didn't know who I was. She didn't know who Pastor Anderson was. She's just, just a local convert uh, from uh, the church. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Look at Acts 13. So first we talked about the remnant in the UK regarding missions. Then we talked about the receptiveness of the UK regarding missions. And lastly this morning, let's talk about the role of the UK for missions. The role of the UK for missions. And this is as I see it. And I want to begin by giving you this illustration or this example from the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, you have the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is the greatest missionary who ever lived. Greatest church planner who ever lived. Greatest evangelist who ever lived. And the Apostle Paul was sent out to do his mission's work, not from the church in Jerusalem, but from the church in Antioch. Acts 13, look at verse 1. Now there were in the church that was in, at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. I want you to notice that. There were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. I'm not going to take the time to read all this, but look down at verse number 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So I want you to notice that uh, Saul and Barnabas were ordained and commissioned and sent off from the church in Antioch. This is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. It begins there in Antioch. Where does Paul's uh, first missionary journey end? Go to Acts 14, look at verse 26. Acts 14, 26. Acts 13, 1 is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Acts 14, 26 is the end of the missionary journey. Notice what it says, and then sailed to Antioch from whence he had been recommended. Remember that he was recommended, he was commissioned, he was sent out. Look at verse 28. And there, referring to Antioch, they abode long time with the disciples. That's the end of the first missionary journey. Let's look at the beginning of the second missionary journey, Acts 15. Now in Acts 15, between the first and second missionary journeys, you have this whole Jerusalem council, uh, which had nothing to do with missions. We're, we're not going to talk about that. Look at verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. That's the beginning of the second missionary journey. Where are they? In Antioch. Where does the second missionary journey uh, and look at Acts 18, verse 22. Acts 18, verse 22. And when they had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. So I want you to notice, the first missionary journey begins in Antioch, and in Antioch. The second missionary journey begins in Antioch, ends in Antioch. Why is that? Because Antioch is the church that is supporting the Apostle Paul, and it's his launching pad and he launches from there, and he goes back there, he gives him a report, tells him how things are going, and when he goes again, he leaves from there. Notice where the third missionary journey begins. It ended in verse 22. It begins in verse 23, Acts 18, 23. And after he had spent some time there, some time where? In Antioch. He departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening the disciples. And of course, we don't see the Apostle Paul end the third missionary journey in Antioch because we know that he never came back. His missionary journey ends in Rome in prison. But I want you to notice that Antioch was the launching pad. And I believe that the UK, and specifically, you know, the church that's already there, Strong Tower uh, Baptist Church, but any church that gets started in the UK, I believe that it can serve as a launching pad for the new IFB to do missions all over Europe. And I believe that the UK could be a launching pad. And look, I'm not against any other churches. Obviously, there's a great church in Germany. Praise the Lord for it. Verity Baptist Church is starting a church in Poland. I'm for it. I'm for all of it. But here's what I think the UK is unique uh, and and could be uniquely used of a launching pad. First of all, obviously, the United Kingdom, England, it's it's a nation in Europe. But they also speak English. (laughs) You know, and we speak English. And, you know, they don't speak our language. We actually speak their language. And, And they speak it better than we do. And... So here's the thing. We were able to take a group of people from Vancouver, Washington, from Sacramento, California. We spent 10 days in the UK and we did soul winning. Why? Because they spoke the same language we spoke. Obviously, if we would have spent 10 days in Germany or in Poland or, or somewhere else, Switzerland, you know, I don't speak those languages. Now, I could have gone soul winning there, but I wouldn't need an interpreter. It, it, it would have just added an additional hurdle. Here's what I'm saying is the new IFB ha- obviously has mainly, has mainly been headquartered in the United States of America, which means that most new IFB potential missionaries speak English. Now, if you speak another language, praise God for it. Go to those countries. Go to those places. But if you're looking for a place, if you're saying, I speak English and I want to go do missions in Europe, then the UK is the place to go. Because they're in Europe, they speak the same language you speak, you can go there, it can be a launching pad from there to reach the rest of the world. And for us as pastors, obviously, I'm not opposed to preaching in other places. Obviously, it's biblical to preach with an interpreter. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just think that this could really be, the United Kingdom could be a place that really kind of transitions or brings together the United States and Europe, because of the fact that it's a European country and they speak English there, we primarily speak English, so it could be a launching pad to take over the rest of Europe. Yeah. And, of course, the people that, there was people there at the event from all over Europe. But those, those people speak English, which is why they got saved watching Pastor Anderson or watching the new IFB, uh on uh, the Internet. So we talked about the remnant. Go to Acts 16. Acts 16, if you would. We talked about the remnant in the UK from missions. We talked about the receptiveness in the UK for missions. And we talked about the role uh, of the UK uh, regarding missions. And, of course, the, the, the remnant, it is a spiritually dark place, but there is a faithful remnant there. And the receptiveness, there are receptive people from receptive countries that have migrated there, and you can even get white people saved. All right? So praise the Lord for that. And then there's the role of the UK, and the role is this, that it could be like Antioch, and it could serve as a launching pad for those of us that are Americans that speak English to go to Europe and, and be involved in missions in Europe because it's a European country that speaks English. I don't think the, U, the, the British like me to call the UK a European country, but you know, it, it is what it is. Acts 16, look at verse 9. In Acts 16 and verse 9, you have the famous Macedonian call, which I want to use as an illustration of a European call. Obviously, Macedonia uh, was, was resulted in the gospel. The Macedonian call resulted in the gospel coming into Europe. Macedonia would be more of a Greek area. Look at verse 9, Acts 16 verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia... This would be a Roman province lying north of Greece. And prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us forward to preach the gospel unto them. And look, let me tell you something. Here we have Paul who gets this Macedonian call This vision of this man from Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. This is a Macedonian call. It brought the gospel into Europe. It brought missions into Europe. And let me tell you, today there is still a Macedonian call from Europe where there's people all over Europe saying, come help us. They're saying, come over and come help us. They're saying, come over into Macedonia. Come over into the UK. Come over into Poland and Switzerland and Hungary and Germany. Come over and help us. And they're talking to you. They're talking to American Christians. At this time in human history, we are the ones, the new IP here on this continent that are preaching the gospel all over the world. And I'm here to tell you, there are Europeans all over that continent saying, come over. Over into Macedonia and help us. It's a dark place. But please understand this. It was a dark place when Paul went there. It was a dark, they've all been dark places. But the gospel light can shine in even dark places. Go to Matthew chapter 4, if you would, Matthew 4. While you turn there, let me read to you from 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, can shine in the darkest places of this world. But we need to get a vision. And look, maybe it's a vision for missions. Maybe it's the UK. Maybe it's the Caribbean. Maybe, like Pastor Henderson said, maybe it's across the ocean, but it's also across your street. We need to remember and we need to understand that there are people, look, there are people all over this world, in Africa, in Europe, in South America, in North America, people all over this world, in your neighborhood and in my neighborhood, there are people that would get saved if we would come. They would get saved and they maybe don't know how to articulate it. They don't know how to say it, but in their hearts, they are saying, if someone would come, I would get saved. They're saying, help us help us why would you come to a conference like this I hope it's to be motivated for soul winning I hope that you'll be motivated to get on a plane and to go somewhere and answer that call as they say help us but I so I hope you also get motivated to get in a van and go down the road when the when the world has came to us they think they're coming here for jobs They think they're coming here for prosperity. They think they're coming here uh, for for benefits. They think they're coming here to earn some money to send back home. What they don't realize is that God brought them here that we might reach them with the gospel. My dream, the whole time I was in the UK, this verse kept coming to my mind. Because it is spiritually a dark place. But I I think Matthew 4.16 is a great theme verse that could be a theme verse for the vision of Europe. Obviously, this is not about Europe. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 4.16 says this, The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And I pray to God that it might be said of the United Kingdom, of Europe, and of every part in this world, that it might be said that we, have decided to take missions to the uttermost part of the world. That we have came with the glorious gospel, the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it might be said in our lifetime that the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, Amen. and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. So I ask you the question: Will you answer the call? There's a Macedonian call all over the world. There are people all over the world. Literally, we get emails every week. I know we do, and I know all my friends do. We get emails every week, people saying, will you come and help us? Will you come and help us? You know what we need is some people to step up and say, I'm going to be a soul winner. We need some young men to say, I'm not going to live for money, and I'm not going to be afraid of the persecution, I'm going to give my life to preach the gospel, the glorious gospel of Christ, and to reach the dark world. The gospel, the light, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you come? Will you help? They're calling. They called Paul and they're calling us. Come over into Europe and help us. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this great conference. I can't think of one thing that's more important than what we're dealing with this week. The subject of mission, soul winning. Heaven and hell, people will spend eternity somewhere. And there are people that are calling. They're searching and they cannot find the truth. There's a famine of the preaching of the word of God. And we have the light. Help us to go. Help us to answer the call. As they call to us for help. Help us to say, we will go. Here am I, Lord. Send me. We love you. In the match, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.